<laughs> so I tell parents all the time that I do not hear kid noise when I'm up here. I just, people say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was, I don't hear it. I don't know if you, I just, I don't hear it. Um, but we, uh, we love to have our kids. So thanks, uh, thanks parents. Um, some of you will notice that the text in the bulletin says Colossians. Um, uh, I, I had to put the bulletin out a couple days early this week because of some family um, uh, uh, time. I got a little extra baby time this week, so I put the bulletin out a couple days early. And um, after I printed the bulletin, I realized that I really would rather preach a short series out of Thessalonians than Colossians right now. And the title of the message stayed the same. So First Th- Thessalonians chapter 1 um, instead of Colossians chapter 1. Um, and uh, just a, a few weeks series on, on this, uh, this wonderful book that could very well have been the very first theological writing of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The first letter he wrote back as um, on the second missionary journey he had visited Thessalonica and just a few months later while in Corinth got a report from Mark on how well they were doing and, uh, and wrote this short letter back to the church in, um, in Thessalonica. It, it is a, it, it's a message that allows me to do two really important things this spring. Number one, uh, to, uh, to ask that, that question, what do resurrection and the cross, that, th- those events we just spent so much time looking at, what do resurrection and cross really have to do with the gospel that we preach and live out um, in, in the 21st century. And 1 Thessalonians leads us to answer that question. And secondly, it's just been a long time since I've done a, uh, any, any teaching on the second coming. And um, 1 Thessalonians allows me to do that. Colossians doesn't. So that's, that's, where, uh, that's why we made the shift. So I hope you're uh, patient with me. And if you uh, came having read Colossians chapter 1, um, you've been edified and it's been good for you. But we're going on with, uh, with 1 Thessalonians. Um, this letter from Paul, just a few months after his visit to Thessalonica, just a few months after um, he brought the gospel there, um, to, these, uh, to these new believers that he has already begun to, uh, to love so much, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And as he always begins his, his uh, epistles, his letters, a prayer of thanksgiving. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply, not, not merely with words, but also power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how he lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy, that joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out for you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what, they report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The opening of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and a, uh, a word for, from the Holy Spirit for the church in Anacortes today. Father, thank you for the privilege you've given us of opening up your word. And Father, I just, we, we pray for that same, um, not mere words, but power this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you, can, as you might imagine, um, a early letter from Paul um, has, uh, has garnered some conversation among the scholars and a little bit of, of criticism. Um, and, and they suggested things like, how can Paul write something so polished so early in his ministry? I mean, if, when you read 1 Thessalonians, this, this maybe his first letter, people argue about Galatians. I, I think this is his first one. And, and, uh, and it begins with faith, hope, and love, right? At the very beginning of the letter, which is the theme for Romans and 1 Corinthians and, and all the other great deep theological books he writes. Um, uh, that, that He couldn't have written it this early. To, to which I say, uh, why not? I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is Paul. Um, they, they say things like, um, uh, there is a, um, th- there's no way the Thessalonian church could have experienced this kind of severe suffering so early in, uh, in their walk with Jesus. Um, to which I say, that's crazy. Why couldn't they have? Um, the story is clear in the book of Acts. Um, so, some have suggested that the, um, that the Thessalonians these brand new Christians, maybe just four months since they heard the gospel, that there's no way these Thessalonian Christians could have had their faith um, known all over um, uh, the, 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 uh, the Grecian mainland, uh, Achaia in the south, Macedonia in the north. Um, there's no way they could have been that well known, that their faith has been that uh, well known already this early in the story, to which I say, really? Why not? Um, and, and there's some who suggest that as, and you'll see as we get in the book, that um, there's no way in 50 A.D., just 30 years after Jesus' death, that, um, that, the first, that the early church, this New Testament church, could have had this developed, a, a, um, an idea of the second coming already, to which I say, why not? Um, that this is not merely words, as we're going to learn. Um, but, uh, but this is an incredible letter written by the real Paul um, to believers whose faith is already well known across the ancient world who had already suffered some severe persecution and had some really good questions to ask about the second coming. Um, that's this great book of, uh, of 1 Thessalonians in which we're going to spend a few weeks um, this spring. Now, I said that one of the things that, that drew me to 1 Thessalonians was the fact that it helps me answer the question, what does, what do the, the, the cross, the crucifixion, the atonement, and the resurrection really add to the gospel? Now, we, we've been in Mark um, the last four months. Um, Mark's gospel, and uh, Mark's gospel begins, as we've been seeing, with Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom of, of repentance in Mark chapter 1, and ends with, with a, a great commission, preach the gospel to all creation in Mark 16. It begins and ends with this gospel idea. Um, and uh, 
there is a, I, I'm going to call it a, be careful, a, a dangerous rethinking of what the gospel means going on in the church right now. Um, and uh, th- that would leave the gospel at God's inbreaking into creation and de-emphasize the cross and the resurrection. Um, I, uh, did, did, did anybody catch the lecture I put in the notes last week? Good. I'm glad none of you saw that lecture because that was the theme of the lecture was to de-emphasize the atonement. And I only went about halfway through it. Um, and uh, I, I'm a part of a, a team that is interviewing and reading dozens of sermons from candidates in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, I was assigned four sermons this, this week. Um, and on Friday, we spend all day with the candidates going over their sermons and, and doing an interview. Um, of the four sermons that I read from four candidate, from two different candidates, two sermons each, um, in, in none of the sermons was there a really good development of why the cross is important. Um, and uh, what I'm going to suggest is as we read 1 Thessalonians, and as we think about this gospel that, of the kingdom, of, of repentance that Jesus began preaching, I, I want you to begin to see what happens when cross and resurrection get added to it. Because within just a few years, this gospel of the kingdom, which was God breaking into this world every time he responds to its fallenness, and whether it's in Genesis chapter 3 when God breaks into the garden and, uh, and brings a promise, or whether it's in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 when God breaks in to, God, to the slavery of God's people and, um, and, and brings them redemption, or whether it's in the New Testament when God breaks in as himself in the incarnation and, uh, and deals with sin in this world, um, that this gospel of God breaking into the world doesn't make sense until cross and resurrection are brought to bear. I, I want to go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is actually the story of how Paul went to um, Thessalonica. Um, and the story, this is a story in Acts 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis, the river ran around the city, around the city Amphipolis, and Apollonia, named after the, the, Greek, the, the Greek Roman gods, they came to Thessalonica. Paul arrives in Thessalonica um, with his back sore, but his spirits high, as uh, my favorite commentator says. He's been, he was just beaten in Philippi, and now a few days later, they're in Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. So Thessalonica, a big enough city in the ancient world to have a Jewish synagogue. Um, if you remember your New Testament, when they got to Philippi a few days earlier, there was no synagogue. It wasn't a big enough city, so they had to meet by the river. Thessalonica is a big enough city. Um, the second or third largest city in Macedonia at the time, um, a port city right on the Ignatian Way east-west, and I apologize, my, my um, PowerPoint was lost in a computer crash this morning, so you have to wait till next week to see my wonderful pictures of the Ignatian Way and, uh, and Thessalonica, that's next week, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Um, and, and in this city, big enough to have a synagogue, big enough to have Gentiles interested in, in what's happening there to become God-fearing Gentiles, um, he, he went to a Jewish synagogue, as his custom was. Paul went, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving. Now, w- w- we are 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection story. Um, 
And already, the gospel message cannot be preached in the New Testament without this. Paul explains in the, in the synagogue that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then this quote, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is Christ. This person who in Jerusalem was crucified and rose again, um, that is that promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Some of the Jews were persuaded to join Paul and Silas and a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Um, the good news has always been that God is breaking in. That good news, that gospel, um, in, in the text, sometimes it's going to be called the good news and sometimes it's going to be called the gospel. Um, our translators switch back and forth. Um, there's a reason for that, and it has to do with the background of the word gospel. The word gospel comes from the old English Godspell. Um, Braden, that Godspell. <laughs> Braden, no, Braden was in Godspell. Uh, and were you in God? They were both, oh, they both, that's right, they both were in Godspell. Um, it's called Godspell because in, in Old English, God was good and spell was news, the good news. From the Greek, euangelion, the good message, yes, angelion is, is message, so an angel is a messenger, um, and to the Latin evangel, which is where we get evangelism from, to the Old English, Godspell, good message, in Old English, to our gospel today. That's where that word comes from. It, it is just the good news. And from the very beginning, that good news of God breaking into this world to make a difference um, was, uh, was preached. And I'm going from Genesis 3, when God breaks in, all the way through. But this breaking in is different. This breaking in is God himself. This breaking in is cross and resurrection. And this breaking in fulfills satisfies everything the Old Testament promised. Um, now, in my notes, I reference a couple other Old Testament, I mean, uh, New Testament sermons. And, and I want to go um, to Paul's very first New Testament sermon just to let you hear how cross and resurrection works as Paul is preaching um, his, his very first message in Acts chapter 13. Now, there have been more gospel, there have been gospel sermons beforehand from Peter, from John, but Acts 13 is Paul's very first sermon. He's on his first missionary journey, and, and I want you to hear how a sermon that connects the Old Testament promises of God breaking in with, the, with this idea that Jesus is the final breaking in that, uh, that we need. Um, brothers, okay, and by the way, this is just a couple years earlier. So Paul has been preaching this message now for a couple of years, and when he gets to Thessalonica, we get the summary of it. This Jesus is the Christ. I mean, that's the summary of this message. Brothers, children of Abraham, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The message that God breaks into this world in Genesis 3 and Exodus 2 and every other time God has broken in. That's the message. The people of Jerusalem... And the rulers did not recognize Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus as the ultimate breaking in. Um, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophet that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Does that story sound familiar? That's where we were two weeks ago. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you this gospel, this good news translated here. We tell you this gospel. What is it? That Jesus died and is resurrected, and we're witnesses of that fact. We tell you this good news. What God has promised our fathers. That's the Old Testament. That's 1,500 years of God's promises. That's God's promises in Genesis 3 that he's going to break in. That's God's promises in the beginning of Exodus that he's going to break in in the Exodus. That's God's promises to the kings and to the prophets that God is going to break in and rescue his people. It's all those promises, he says. We tell you the good news that what God has promised our fathers, the entire Old Testament, he has fulfilled in us their children by... And, and, and the text is... Paul's sermon is very, very specific. How is the Old Testament gospel going to be fulfilled? What is going to be the sign that there's going to be somebody comes, who comes to fulfill everything written and um, raising up Jesus? And I had a little pause there because I had to find my place in my text. I'm sorry. We tell you this good news, this gospel. What God has promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Um, that's the gospel in the book of Thessalonians. That's the gospel we encounter in the very opening verses where, um, where Paul says... Um, Therefore, we did not need to say anything. They themselves found, report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols um, and how you wait for a son from heaven who raised, him from the, uh, who raised him from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us. That is the gospel. Um, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to find over the next few weeks that gospel preached again and again and again. The church made God's breaking in the central story. But they never made it the central story without including cross and resurrection. And every, what's interesting is every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians includes something about how the gospel builds the faith, hope, and love of this church, which is how it began. Um, and it includes something about the second coming. So somehow, over the next four weeks, you're going to have to, you and I are going to have to um, build a gospel that has three parts. The cross, the resurrection, and the second coming. So, uh, so just get ready. I know in, in um, the, the church today, the second coming is a little, can be controversial. I hope by the end of the next four or five weeks, um, you, you, are, you have just some a confidence in what the Bible is saying about the Jesus who died, was raised, and is coming back to save us from that wrath. Okay, now my question. What do the cross and resurrection have to do with, uh, with living out faith, hope, and love today? Uh, I, I just, as I say again, I love the way the story begins, the, the epistle begins. We thank you, we thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember 
um, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in, the, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. And you've heard that before in Romans and in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, how do cross and resurrection build faith, hope, and love in a first century church that is undergoing persecution and is still celebrating being young and a 21st century church that um, is, uh, is preparing for persecution and you know, wants to have that same power. I'm, I, I, just, I wrote down three things as I was coming to the end of my sermon. Actually, I wrote down four things um, just to throw myself off. Um, what does it mean? And, and the central verse for me is that, is that text I began with. For we know, brothers, loved by God. We know that he has chosen you. Um, might translate, for we know your election, is, is, is how, that, uh, how, that, how that is phrased. Because, and this is one of the most important becauses in all the Bible. We know how much God loves you. We know your election, your, your relationship with him because this gospel came to you not simply, um, merely is how some people translate that, only would be another way to translate that. It came not only in, um, and not words, but a word, which probably reflects that it, the, the, um, uh, uh, th that it was uh, um, not, not just a, uh, a story, but it came as the, the message itself, the, the gospel. It came with the whole history of Jesus. Um, and fulfilling the Old Testament and his death and resurrection and second coming. It, it came not just with, with um, me telling you something, but with you knowing it's true and with you then following that Jesus. Not, not merely a word, but, but so much more. And that so much more is laid out, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Um, not merely words, but as something much more than that. Um, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul fleshes that out just a little bit. He says this. Um, and um, this is the second Thanksgiving prayer in the book of Thessalonians. We also thank God continually because you received this word of God, which you heard from us and accepted it as not the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in those of us who believe. Um, it's not just... Somebody getting up and telling you something. It is so much more. It's the, uh, it's the very word of God. Not, not just words, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in a deep kind of assurance that sometimes people are afraid to talk about because we don't want to, in, uh, in the 21st century, um, we don't want to say you can really know anything. Um, and Paul says, we know, loved by God about your election, about how God has chosen you and adopted you because this gospel came in see how important that because is because this gospel comes in power the holy spirit and deep assurance and um, i think that is paul's uh, kind of uh, three-headed way three-pronged way to say um, it, it comes in a changed life a transformed life the and the, the power he's talking about is power all through the book of uh, of thessalonians to turn from idols and turn to god the power of a 
of the transformed life. The power of the Holy Spirit being present with us, um, which is the promise of Acts chapter 2, um, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and, and the promise that, um, that, that we actually are going to be able to say, um, we know. Now, is that scary? To say, we know? Um, to say, you, you, can, you can know? Um, The, the God, I'm taking my notes out of order here. I apologize. Um, it, it is this part of the gospel. Power to change lives. The, the evidence of the Thessalonians who have turned from idols to follow God and whose faith is now shouted. The, the, uh, the imagery there is of a trumpet and that's appropriate because later on, Paul's going to turn to the last trumpet, which is going to herald the second coming. This first trumpet, which is the church itself, is the sign of the, the gospel being present here. That, that it is those transformed lives in Thessalonica. That, that's how, that's the because, that's how Paul, Silas, and Timothy can say, um, we know, loved by God, that, um, that God has adopted you into his family. That's what election means. Um, and, and made you his own. And now, at this point in the story, is where we bring in cross and resurrection. It's at this point in each one of the chapters that, 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 uh, that Paul reflects back after talking about faith, hope, and love after talking about a, uh, a turning from idols to, to, uh, to God that has been shouted all over, um, all over Greece, to talking about their, their changed lives, which was, uh, which was shouted out by how, how much they accepted Paul and Silas and Timothy um, into their lives, that, that it's at this point in the epistle, in the gospel story, that Paul brings in the cross. It's the very same thing he does in Acts chapter 13, in that sermon in Antioch. But God raised him from the dead. And we tell you this good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled in us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins. It's at this point in the story that the gospel of the kingdom, which was a big picture beforehand, a God breaking in. Um, but frankly, it wasn't very personal because it didn't carry with it the promise of the Holy Spirit indwelling me. It didn't carry with it the assurance that I've been adopted into God's family. And, and the gospel now, on this side of the cross and resurrection, the gospel on this side says it's through Jesus that forgiveness of sins comes to me. Um, that's what that prayer in Psalm 130 that we began with said. Um, through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that could not be justified by the Old Testament story. 
And, and what I'm going to, the, the path I hope to walk with you over the next four weeks is to, uh, is to ask again and again, how do cross and resurrection affect the gospel? How, how do they change the faith, hope, and love that um, Paul, Paul saw in the lives of those Thessalonian believers and that, um, and that we want to grow right here in Anacortes. And how does the gospel go from being the big story of how God breaks into this universe to being the personal story about how forgiveness comes to me and to you? Um, the, uh, the book of Thessalonians. I hope, uh, I hope you like it too. <laughs> Father, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to meet Paul and these incredible group of believers in Thessalonica one more time. And Father, I ask that um, as we watch them um, grow in their faith, hope, and love, that you would bless us with that same um, power, Holy Spirit, and assurance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Joni, I can't remember what you're ending with. You're my king. <laughs> you are my, would you please stand with me?